Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. When the news broke of the death of former NBA player Kobe Bryant on Sunday, shocked fans mourned the passing of a legend. Yesterday was supposed to be a celebratory day, and um, then we got tragic news about Kobe Bryant. Earlier today, the whole wide world lost a hero. But for some, it was more about what wasn't being said about the man that was just as confronting as dealing with his life being cut short in this tragic way. Because along with knowing Bryant's wife and children will be suffering in the wake of his death, there's also a woman... Bryant's sexual assault victim, who'll be hearing nothing but praise for the man who hurt her. Today, we talk about the complicated feelings surrounding the celebration of the life of a man who was undoubtedly the best on the basketball court, but like a real human person, was flawed off it. Just a heads up that today's quickie discusses sexual assault. If this is triggering for you, maybe pass on this one and join us again for the next episode. When the news broke that 41-year-old former NBA star Kobe Bryant had been killed in a helicopter crash alongside his teenage daughter, the world went into mourning for the legend, remembering the man on court and off who was a mentor to young athletes, a star with the ball, a friend to many and dedicated family man. But for some, it was shocking that no one seemed to remember any of the bad parts, that there was no discussion about how he was flawed, made mistakes, a man who at the same time can be a sporting hero and a man who at best cheated on his wife and at worst raped a young woman. Where should that woman's story, his victims so interwoven with Bryant's, be mentioned in relation to his legacy? In June 2003, Bryant was headed to the Lodge and Spa at Cordillera in Colorado. His travel agent had called ahead to make sure their celebrity client was given the five-star treatment, admitting to the staff member who answered the phone that he's booked in under an alias, but it was in fact Kobe Bryant. According to the police transcript of the statement, the 19-year-old staff member, who we'll call Alice, wanted to meet the basketball legend, so she stayed past the end of her shift. When Bryant and his entourage arrived, Alice was asked to escort him to his room, where she says he asked if she would come back and give him a tour. She agreed, showing him around the facilities before returning to his room, sitting down for a chat. When Bryant asked Alice to open the jacuzzi for him, she told him her shift was over and she was heading home. Again, he tried to convince her to come back. She agreed, telling police that she intended to leave and not return. When she stood up to go, Brian asked her for a hug. He started to kiss her. He went to remove his pants. Alice says it was then, when she tried to push him away, that he grabbed her around the neck and choked her. In her statement, Alice says while the kissing was consensual, what came after wasn't. She was left with the traumatic injuries that go along with the sexual assault. Bleeding, a telling bruise around her neck. She reported the rape to police the next day. But in the months that followed, Bryant, initially denying he'd ever touched her before police told him they had evidence that they'd had sex, he claimed innocence, that it was consensual, that it had been rough because that's how it was with his other girlfriend, not his wife. 
Bryant's defence team intimidated the victim, naming her publicly, smearing her reputation. Fans made death threats. He fronted a press conference holding his wife Vanessa's hand, saying his only crime was cheating on his wife. I'm innocent. I didn't force her to do anything against her will. I'm innocent. And I sit here in front of you guys, furious at myself, disgusted at myself for making a mistake of adultery. You know, I love my wife with all my heart. She's my backbone. You're a blessing. You're a beat to my heart. You're the air I breathe. And you're the strongest person I know. And I'm so sorry having to put you through this and having to put our family through this. You know, I'm a, I'm a human being. I'm a man just like everybody else. I mourn. I cry just like everybody else. You know, I sit here before you guys embarrassed and ashamed for committing adultery. But I'm innocent. Eventually, Alice refused to testify. Because of her decision, the criminal case was dismissed, but her lawyers launched a civil case and asked for Bryant to apologise, which he did, saying after months of reviewing Discovery, listening to her attorney and even Alice's testimony in person, he now understood how Alice felt, that she did not consent to the encounter. The case was settled for an undisclosed sum. But did Bryant learn from this? Was he a reformed man? Was his after-basketball life as a dedicated family man, major supporter of his daughter's sporting aspirations and those of women on the court in general, enough for us to be okay with what happened back in 2003? Yvette Dion is the editor-in-chief of Bitch Media and author of the soon-to-be-released book, Lifting As We Climb, Black Women's Battle for the Ballot Box. Yvette, you summed up Kobe's legacy pretty well in just one tweet. You said that Kobe Bryant's untimely death has once again revealed the cultural divide. Many feminists have the capacity to hold space for assault survivors and mourn someone who meant so much to so many black children and families around the world. And this is the point, isn't it, that life and people are grey, not black and white. Absolutely. I think that it becomes very easy, especially in a time when all of us are reacting in real time to a tragedy, to kind of go into two extremes. One extreme is We want to support a person who believes that someone has harmed them, who is grappling with seeing this happening and this person being valorized and praised. And then on the other end, there are people who say we shouldn't broach it at all. That is a tarnishing of legacy to mention it in any way or respect. And so I am trying to find kind of a middle ground where we can do both of those things at the same time and that one does not negate the other. That's the hard part, though, isn't it? Because if you if you support him and his legacy, it feels like you're turning your back on your sister who was harmed, but then if you are doing nothing but focusing on the incident in question, you're turning your back on those people who are inspired by Kobe Bryant and who um, were supported by him. And so it's that's the really hard part, isn't it? Like you feel like you're almost turning your back on one side or the other by sitting in the middle. Absolutely. It feels that way. And based on some of the response that I have gotten from people on both sides, it remains that way. But what I always call for as a feminist, as someone who is invested in ending sexual violence, 
is that nothing is that black and white. We do not fully exist in a victim-perpetrator binary. And if we want to move to a place where we are dismantling rape culture, we have to move beyond this kind of black and white conversation, either you are a supporter of specific sexual assault survivor or you're a rape apologist. And if someone does something as horrible as Kobe admittedly did, that that becomes the totality of their legacy. There has to be space to complicate that conversation and not say that, that we have to arrive in like a neutral middle ground, but that we do more of that introspective work and cultural work so it isn't as binary as it is right now. Is it our place to say whether Kobe Bryant was a reformed man after that 2003 sexual assault case? I don't think that it's necessarily our place to bestow redemption on him, to say that he became a better man. The only person who can do that work in my mind is the person who he's harmed. But what I will say, and I've said this, publicly several times is that I I often feel as if the work that he did later in his life and in his career around um, championing women's sports and fighting in some respects for pay equity and becoming a coach of not only his daughter, but of an entire AAU basketball team, that that work is somewhat rooted in him having a self-awareness and an understanding of what he did when he was 25. He said in a statement that he recognized that this particular woman did not give consent. There has to be an internal grappling that happens after that sort of thing happens to someone. And because he's not a repeat offender, because it seems that he spent so much of his later time trying to at least in some ways atone for that, you have to imagine that he was aware of the harm that he's caused and he was trying to turn the corner. Whether or not he's successful at that, again, is something only his survivor um, can speak to. Has the Me Too movement changed how we view men after examples of sexual assault? Like, do, like we know that Kobe Bryant was an incredible dad who helped young athletes, especially helped young black athletes. Is it tough for us to realise that great men can also be bad men at times? I think that that is a large part of the work that the Me Too movement has done and has done, I thought, until this point, exceptionally well. Is that if we want to have a world in which everyone is aware of rape culture, they're aware of their complicity in it, and they are working to dismantle it, then we have to see people in the fullness of their humanity. So we, the Me Too movement has helped us complicate that conversation by saying a man can, or a sexual violence perpetrator in general, can be good to their families, can be a noted philanthropist, can, you know, change the way that the world views a particular sport and also harm someone else, that you can be all of those things at once. And that if a person, that is, it is sometimes hard to boil people down to the worst thing they've ever done. That is what the Me Too movement in some respects, I thought into this point, 
had done exceptionally well at helping us reframe and think. But now I'm thinking that there's still a lot more work to do. Just in your personal opinion, do you feel that Kobe Bryant's legacy is being remembered especially in the initial aftermath of the news that he had passed away, where it was really nothing but praise. Do you feel like that was appropriate in the immediate aftermath of his death and that you do need to let time pass before you do say, hey, we also need to remember that he was also a flawed person too? Yes and no. I I would never push back on someone who says that people need time to grieve. I know that he's belonged in some respects to his family, but he was a global figure. And so the people who not only watched him and admired him, but in some respect were inspired by him, deserve time and space to grieve such a tragic and quick loss. And on the other side of that, I never think it is too soon to grapple with a person's full legacy. Every person is flawed. There is never a time in which a person is good or bad. We are just the sum of the decisions that we make. And so I think there's never a good time to do this. And even if in his death we want to just uphold him and praise him, we have to make space to have difficult conversations too. Kobe Bryant isn't the only famous person that we struggle with in this same way. Just this past week, there were questions about whether to honour an anniversary of one of our greatest tennis players of all time, Margaret Court, when she's also a vocal homophobe. We struggled with Michael Jackson's musical legacy when his story is also about those children who claim he abused them. Maybe before the Me Too movement, we could ignore the bad parts and focus solely on Kobe Bryant's accomplishments, the way it was easily forgotten in 2003. But the woman in question here, the victim, Alice, she may be reliving that traumatic part of her life again right now. She might have people knocking on her door asking for her comment. She might have hoped that this had all gone away too, because his story, whether she wants to or not, will always be connected to hers. And while it may not have been appropriate to have this discussion in the immediate aftermath of Bryant's death, we can't ignore that she will always be a part of his story and therefore his legacy too. The Quickie was produced by Melanie Tate with audio production by Ian Camilleri. For more episodes, you can find us at mamamia.com.au forward slash the quickie. And if there's a story you'd like us to investigate further, hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or call the pod phone 02 899 9386.